Hi Triber, we're back for the next season. Smart Girl Tribe has grown to become the UK's number one female empowerment organisation. We have an event series, a digital magazine, a membership platform and this podcast. What can you expect from us? Interviews from women all over the world who are driving change and pushing the needle forward. From actors to activists to CEOs and conflict photographers to the brains behind some of the world's largest corporations. When you're not tuned in every Wednesday at 6pm, then make sure you're chatting to fellow unapologetically ambitious women in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or sharing our ever so inspirational content on Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe. Welcome back, Tribers, and happy Wednesday. This is the podcast episode you have been wanting, you have been asking me about ever since I created the Smart Girl Tribe podcast, a conversation I have never had in public before. Sex. Anushka Tate is a multi-award winning sexpert and the co-founder of Project Pleasure, an award-winning podcast that puts the pleasure back into safe sex and healthy relationships. This episode contains strong language and language of a sexual nature. Anushka and I discuss porn, masturbation, threesomes, how to have tough conversations with your partner, body confidence or lack of in the sheets, virginity being a social construct, different types of relationships, and how to have a happy and exciting sex life from the start. If you are under the age of 16, please do not proceed without your parents' or guardian's consent, and if you are either asexual or waiting for marriage, we fully support you too and your beliefs. Given that, strap in and let's get intimate. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on. I am really looking forward to this conversation, even though I am slightly nervous. So welcome, Anushka. Um, so, no, not at all. I'm really excited. So let's talk about your podcast first, which has done incredibly well, Project Pleasure. How did it come about? And have you always had an interest in exploring this theme? Were you the friend growing up, growing up that just wanted to know about everyone's sex life? <laughs> oh, God, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've absolutely always been the agony aunt and the therapist of my friendship group that's kind of my I've always been like the rational one I don't buy into the drama I just sit people down and you know Mm -hmm. I'm the one that you come to if you just want it might not be what you want to hear but I will be rational about it so I actually um I did a degree in the history of sex and sexuality so I kind of learned so much in those three years that kind of made me think that if more people knew these things if we all understood each other better the world would just be a much kinder, more compassionate place. Um, And then years and years and years later, my co-host Frankie and I met producing the Sex and Relationship show on a national radio station. And every Saturday evening, we'd kind of, you know, turn down the lights in the studio, get the atmosphere going. (laughs) And all these listeners were calling in with dilemmas and questions that were often so basic. And, you know, I was just kind of left thinking, how had these people in their 30s, 50s, 70s got through life without Mm. knowing these things? Mm. And, you know, at the same time, we were kind of seeing consent crises at universities. We were hearing a lot about young girls missing school because their periods were too taboo to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we were kind of hearing male friends tell us that sex is good if they have an orgasm and then female friends kind of deeming sex a success as long as they weren't in pain so there were just all these things going on that were kind of adding up to like this culmination of okay no we need to do something about this we need to be having more conversations um and you know we did momentarily wonder why we should be the ones to lend our voice to the sex education kind of conversations Mm. but I think I think, honestly, we very quickly realised that it's kind of as simple as because we feel comfortable talking about this stuff and and that's actually extremely rare. So, I don't know, I just kind of felt like with that come, with that sort of privilege comes a bit of a duty to make others feel as safe as we do. Because, you know, there's great power in kind of hearing the experiences of other people and just feeling a bit more normal mm-hmm. and a little less alone. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much where it started. And when it comes to the logistics of starting a podcast for any of our listeners who want to create one, do you think it's better to use a studio? Do you think someone needs to hire a professional editor? And how can someone also go about maybe getting their podcast sponsored? It's a difficult question because there's such a sliding scale. You know, it's kind of like saying, how do you how do you make a film? Mm -hmm. Well, it depends if you're, you know, making something self-made that you're going to put on YouTube yourself or if you mean an Oscar winning epic production. So obviously you'd want to work with professionals if it's the latter. Um, I think you just have to I think you just have to accept that 
the more of an investment you're willing to put in in terms of hiring studios, researchers, producers, editors, sound designers, whatever it might be along the way, the higher quality your podcast will be. But, you know, if you do want to go alone and make a sort of bedroom podcast, just just do your research first is probably my main tip, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the best microphone that you can get or, you know, do, do lots of tests in your house first where the audio sounds best. Make sure you've got loads of nice soft furnishings around you that will help the audio quality. All these little things that, you know, that can help you do the best with whatever it is you've got in that moment. In terms of getting a sponsor, I mean, that's pretty much what I spend my life trying to do and be better at. That's literally my job. So, um, again, that's the sort of thing that you can absolutely try yourself on a very small scale, see what connections you have. Um, or, again, work with you know a production company who've got really good connections and know what sort of pricing scru- structures you'd be looking at and stuff like that. Um, and they can maybe help you come up with some creative ways to work with brands. As a... As a general rule, though, I think the main thing is actually to not worry about kind of getting across how big your listenership is in terms of numbers. That's actually not super relevant to podcast sponsors. Um, what you do want to be able to do is show that you have as many listeners you do have. They are super, super engaged. Like that's where that's where podcasting works best is when it's for a super niche audience. Most people are going to have no idea what you're talking about. But for those people who do care about that subject they are absolutely there for you the whole time so you know just kind of being able to prove that engagement will make it easier to prove to brands that you already have their exact target market literally at your fingertips and talking about podcast sponsorship if someone was listening and they've been trying for the past maybe year or something to get sponsorship we love to be honest on this podcast so as far as pricing goes what would you recommend and would you suggest maybe just emailing somebody and saying hey would you love to sponsor my podcast how would you go about that I mean again it's so difficult because as a as an audio producer I I'm working with budgets of kind of tens of hundreds of thousands of pounds as opposed to you know again a sort of bedroom podcast type thing where Mm -hmm. you, you might be able to kind of push your luck and go oh, you know, my my listeners, I know that they absolutely love your brand. Do you want to just whack me over 50 quid, 100 quid, 200 quid per episode? Again, it, it depends as well whether, you know, it's going to be a recurring thing or how you kind of incorporate it into the podcast. So is it just that you do a 30-second 30 ad at the beginning of the podcast and that's sort of that? Or is it something that you're going to continue to talk about throughout the podcast? Um There'll also be a potential sliding scale in terms of how much input they might want. So, you know, if they're paying more money, they actually might want a bit more input on what you're doing creatively. So that's where you've got to kind of weigh up mm-hmm. whether you're willing to give over a bit of that power. Um, but I mean, look, podcasting is, in the grand scheme of things, a relatively new industry. And even those of us who are in it day to day are kind of making up the rules as we go along, which is what's so exciting about it. So I don't think there's any harm in reaching out to people. You might just catch someone on a really good day where they're just trying to, you know, kind of dip their toes in, see how it might work. And and you might be the perfect person to try that out with. So I think it's just a kind of, it's a give and take conversation, really. There, you know, there aren't rules from from either side of that conversation. So, you know, you might just find the the exact right person to... Mm -hmm go with what you're looking for and now Anushka talking about your podcast before you record each episode how do you think of the topic for that week and how do you structure it with your co-podcaster if you like Frankie um so we actually kind of try to bulk record each series which which is mainly just a timing thing because it's it's actually a lot of effort to try and check in every week every month so it's easier to just you know um, have like a big planning session before we start to map out what topics we think we need to be talking about, start filling in what kind of guests would be good on each subject, then do all the recording, then do all the editing, then we can put the focus on, you know, putting the series out and doing the marketing and media stuff around it. Um, especially with what we talk about, we do very much leave space to kind of react to things that are happening in the world. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for example, as soon as uh, Me Too and Harvey Weinstein broke in 2017, we immediately did an episode on consent. You know, that was just mm-hmm. like a no-brainer. That's what we need to be talking about. Um, a couple of months later, there were hundreds of teenagers marching on Westminster to protest against period poverty. So around that, we kind of did a 
period show to, you know, for anyone who was coming a bit more engaged in that wider conversation, they could come to us to learn a bit more. So we do kind of leave space for that as well. Um, and then, you know, as we're meeting new people, we're always kind of thinking about how we can platform their stories and experiences and, you know, sometimes choosing the topic kind of comes mm-hmm. to us backwards in that respect. Um, and, and actually most of our time is probably spent doing research you know um that's kind of, that's the heart of it and what we like to make sure we're doing is that everything we're talking about is coming from a well-researched place so actually when we're reading we often discover little gems that suddenly make mm-hmm. us think oh god okay no we need to be talking about this this is the first time i've ever heard about that um i mean for, so for example on our contraception episode on series one we kind of realized that we needed to have a really well-researched conversation about how the pill might be affecting mental health. And then on our STI episode, one of our guests had uh, has HIV and he told us that there's now medication that, that means that we could realistically stop the spread of HIV in, mm. in our lifetime. And we just hadn't had to, heard that in kind of such explicit terms before. So as soon as you know that triggers something, you go, okay, that's the path we need to go down. When introducing yourself, what are people's reactions when you say you have a sex podcast? <laughs> um, so for the most part, it's it's quite funny, actually, because for the most part, people kind of say like, oh, that's really brave. Mm. Like, you know, oh, I, c- I couldn't do that. And I find that really interesting because it, I think it speaks volumes to how important the conversations are that other people are so not willing to have these conversations um but I mean honestly most people thank me which okay. which I find which I find slightly weird and like mm. oh no I'm just, oh, I'm just doing my job <laughs> like you know but but again you know it it speaks volumes to the fact that often this is the only place that people have ever heard these conversations before and that they're clearly so needed um so it's yeah it's I I I find it I'm stuttering over this one because I find Mm. it really weird to be you know I don't say that I'm you know helping all these wonderful lives to happen Mm. or whatever but like it 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 is interesting. You'd almost think that people would either back off or be like, oh, saucy, yeah. or that kind of thing. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's often a lot more um, kind of quietly mm. thanking, which is really interesting. That's really nice. And um, being a multi-award winning, we have to emphasise that, a multi-award winning <laughs> sexpert, we are going to dive into five topics today and really branch off of those. I know some of our listeners have sent in questions, so we're going to add those in as well so to begin I really excuse me wanted to discuss virginity you wrote a really interesting article the other day about some truths and how we are raising the next generation so for our listeners can you explain what truths they are first off virginity is a social construct and I could go about on about that forever Mm -hmm. but the top lines are that virginity as a concept Uh, basically values penis and vagina sex as the only kind of real sex and that is problematic for myriad reasons um including including the fact that i mean it's just wildly patriarchal because it basically privileges the sex act that's most likely to get a man off over Mm -hmm. the sex act that are most likely to be pleasurable for women which are obviously those including clitoral stimulation um and then there's obviously the fact that, you know, not all people who have sex have or want a penis or yeah. indeed to, you know, penetrate any holes, mm-hmm. you know. So if we accept <laughs> this kind of traditional notion of virginity that, that, you know, what are women who have sex with women? Are they all virgins? Do, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's just so many issues with that. Um, the other really big issue is that it's then tied into what we believe the hymen to be. And that's mm-hmm. what I, I wrote an article about recently. Um, we, What we're told about the hymen is actually biologically wrong. Um, and the reason we're told wrong information is because, again, of the goddamn patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And they want to believe that, you know, their manly, masculine penises penetrating this kind of chastity seal will change a girl forever, <laughs> right? Yeah. So having this idea that you can tell if a girl is a virgin or not gives men more control over women and it also gives them a way of valuing or judging women as a result of their sexuality so 
obviously we're kind of told that the hymen is like this membrane like cling film covering the entire vaginal opening Mm -hmm. and that you know bleeding when it breaks is a kind of proof of virginity but it, it is not that kind of cling film uh, vibe at all. It's it's more like a donut or like a like a hair scrunchie or something. Mm. It's sort of folds of mucous membrane that kind of encircle the vaginal opening like a ring. Um, so much like every other part of the human body, there is no normal. You know, yeah. some are smooth. They might be wrinkled. It might be more like a fringe around the edge. Um, some have, a, you know, like a really obvious clear hole in the middle. Others might have strands kind of stretched across from one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but the really important thing is that none of those things are a marker of sexual activity. <laughs> no, absolutely. And and it can also be broken through using tampons. I remember when I was growing up, when I was going through having my first period and I was talking to my friends about it, I remember a friend turned to me and she said, oh, my God, Scarlett, you're no longer a virgin. That's it. Mm. It's mm. gone. That's, that's exactly. And the fact that even, you know, young girls are telling each other that, mm-hmm. that from such a young age, we see that as an important thing. And there's like this before before and after, like you're a different person because something has been penetrated in you because something has happened to you. Um, it's just unbelievably ridiculous (laughs) yeah and we do have to say some women choose to wait until marriage or are asexual and don't want to experience this at all and that's all totally great I've had a lot of listeners and readers email in saying that they're choosing to wait and how do we feel about that that's absolutely fine because again it obviously comes down to being a woman's choice do you think Anushka that the idea of losing your virginity how it is portrayed by the media is a social construct as well to keep women a certain way and believing certain somethings if you like yeah absolutely it's it's a method of control it's the kind of classic madonna whore complex it's it's you know basically the fact that regardless of whether you haven't had sex don't have sex or have a lot of sex a woman will always be valued based on her sexual activity. You know, it's this kind of, again, this idea of the before and after of losing virginity means that girls are either... We are we are always, in someone's eyes, going to be too frigid or mm-hmm. too slutty. You know, there is, there is no in-between that allows for autonomy over your own body and own pleasure, whether that choice is to use your body or to not use your body in that way, you know? Um, I mean, the the positive to take from this, so instead of saying um, losing virginity, people are actually starting to say having your sexual debut, Mm -hmm. which I love, Mm -hmm. because it just kind of sets it up as as much more exciting and it's a positive thing rather than that you're losing something or having something kind of taken away from you, you know? So, So language is powerful like that. No, absolutely, and virginity obviously means innocence, so you're just saying, oh, that's Mm. when... I stopped being a girl and became a woman, if you like, which I think is ridiculous. So next up on relationships, through creating a podcast that does focus, well, not even solely on sex, but sex is obviously your main topic. What have you learned from it? Has it taught you anything that you're going to take into your next relationship? (laughs) Um, Do you know what? I've I've always been really open um and kind of known the importance of sharing in a mutual experience and communicating with partners so I've always wanted to put as much emphasis as possible on that but I suppose researching and reading and talking about more on the podcast has kind of given me the language to express what I'm actually thinking so Mm -hmm. some you know sometimes I know exactly what I want in terms of how I want my body to feel but I actually don't have the language like like literally the words to describe Mm -hmm. it because you know I've only got maybe a combination of like phrases or whatever that either feel really aggressive from porn or like really cringe from films or whatever which then actually doesn't describe exactly what I want so Mm -hmm. I think again yeah again you can't underestimate the power of language and if you know if you don't have a word for something how can you speak it into existence you know Knowing so much, Anushka, if you went into your next relationship and maybe let's say that part of the relationship wasn't going so well, would you sit them down and say, look, this is what I need and this is how I need it? Oh God, absolutely. But I think, but I think it should never come to that crisis point. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong in relationships. Um, You know, I think there's this 
there's there's almost like this myth that at some point in a long-term relationship sex is going to go sour you're going to have to do all these exciting things to like spice up your sex life which I hate (laughs) as a phrase so much oh god it makes me cringe so much but like the point is we should be having we should be making these conversations normal from the very first time you have sex with people and that's why it's so important to learn how to talk about sex so that it's not a big deal on a first day on the first time you sleep with someone even if you're only going to sleep with them once you know you want the best out of that sexual relationship in that moment so even if you don't know their name do you know what I mean just like Mm -hmm. you still deserve to get what you want so if if you are able to practice talking about it and just say you know so it doesn't become a big deal you know so that it doesn't get five years down the line and you suddenly have to sit someone down and actually break it to them that they have not been making your orgasm Mm -hmm. for five years and you actually (laughs) hate that thing that they've been doing the whole time because I get it you know the longer it goes on the harder it is to then say oh actually I don't like that or you know oh actually can we try this because then it feels like something's gone wrong and something's been a failure which no one wants to either feel themselves or to put on their partner so that you know the earlier on you can be having these conversations the better really mm-hmm. and bringing up one of the questions that one of our readers sent in they asked do you think after being in a long-term relationship there are certain expectations maybe if you were both doing things at the beginning to please each other and then mm. a year down the line you think actually all of that you know I was doing because I you know, felt that I needed to, how would you tackle that conversation, say a year, maybe two or three years down the line, or even if you're approaching engagement or marriage, how do you bring up the conversation of actually, I don't like doing that, or I don't like receiving that? Mm, mm. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, this is why, from, from this baseline, any of you listening who are now going into relationships, start from the beginning and then you will never have this problem. If you are already in a relationship, mm-hmm. and that is not an option, um, I think the kindest way to do it is to keep it in, um, in the first person. So always talk about what... I need, you know, I feel like I'm changing as a person, you know, and your bodies and your minds do change. So that's entirely legitimate, you know, genuinely something that might have seriously got you off two years ago, might not anymore. And that's totally cool. And that's part of this kind of constant conversation um, and exploring together. But if you keep it in the, you know, or actually, I feel like my body's not responding to this so much anymore. Can we try this rather than being like, you are doing this wrong, or I need you to be changing, you know, so that Mm. it's not an attack. It's actually being really lovely and vulnerable and open about your needs which is hopefully something that you know the whole point of having a partner is to to feel supported in those situations no absolutely and one thing that comes up a lot is obviously oral sex because not everybody Mm. enjoys it do you think if somebody said you know what I really don't enjoy that I would really rather not do that do you think they should try and give it a good go is it a conversation that they need to have with their partner or is it totally acceptable to say no I don't want to do that in your opinion um I think it is always acceptable to say no I do not want to do that particular sex act whatever sex act that is Mm -hmm. um you should whether you're in a relationship whether you've just met someone whatever it is never feel pressured into doing something that you do not want to do um I think there is obviously scope to learn from different people and you know you might like one particular act with one partner and then actually it doesn't quite work with the next one so you know I think there's always space in your own mind to be open to trying different things with different people but also you know that I think again this comes down to what I was talking about with almost the virginity thing of you know privileging penis and vagina sex Mm -hmm. and it's all it's almost like we have this hierarchy of like first is penetration and then (laughs) it's oral sex it's like the whole you know like bases at school Mm -hmm. kind of thing and and all that does is kind of you know basically what I would like everyone to feel about sex is that all these different sex acts are more like a buffet right Mm -hmm. you can pick and choose whichever ones you want and that makes up your entirely legitimate sexual experience you don't have to do all of them you can do one tonight and one tomorrow you don't have to do them in a particular order you know it's not like oh the starter is that we do oral sex and then we move on to the main course which is intercourse you know Mm -hmm. um so so i think a lot of the time people feel that they have to do certain things because that is what sex is 
and that's just not true sex is whatever your body gets pleasure from and however you communicate in an intimate way with your partner um so yeah don't feel pressured and also don't worry about what society is telling you real sex is and obviously talking now almost about the reverse if somebody was really into i don't know maybe having quite kinky sex or Mm. threesomes or they were doing these fantastically wild things with an ex-partner and they wanted that to bring that into their new relationship how would you go about that conversation obviously it's about being honest but are there certain things that maybe would help them get on board um again I think being open as early on as possible is really good because it kind of again if you kind of get a bit of the way down the line and then you suddenly kind of give them a bombshell Mm. they might start to feel like oh gosh you know have you not been enjoying what we've been doing so far so there's a there's an element of reassurance that you know it's not that we're having terrible sex and I need this thing in order for it to work it's just that you know now that we feel like we're really lovely and compatible actually there's this other thing that would be great to add on as a bonus um I don't, I don't think there's any kind of formula, unfortunately, mm. for, for having those conversations. I think I think a lot of it is about um, explaining why it turns you on. Because, you know, a lot of these things, you know, fetishes and desires are all so personal. If someone hasn't come across it before, they might be a bit taken aback or they might be a bit shocked or confused or whatever. And that's not necessarily because they're sort of recoiling in genuine disgust. It's mm. just that they haven't, you know, been been opened up to it before they've never understood or had the opportunity to learn why that is something that could turn someone else on so again using that kind of first person and and explaining why you find it sexy and you know what you see your partner's role being in that and how much that would mean to you um is is really important so almost having a conversation about it that isn't in that kind of pressured sexy environment I think that's a big part of it don't try and have that conversation when you're like Mm mid-sex oh can I now bring out all these other things that I've never told you about before like that that puts people Mm -hmm. under pressure to like make a decision about it in that split second you know maybe later you know when you're having that really lovely sort of cozy time after you've had sex just lying together you're kind of chatting about the world chatting about uh, you know anything and everything just kind of be like oh now that we're feeling a bit vulnerable together maybe you're still naked you've kind of got got that nice vulnerable um kind of vibe together say you know oh there's actually this other thing that I'm really into because of xyz what do you think about that just give people the space to then go away and think about it themselves once you've kind of given them the information rather than being mm-hmm. like so should we try it now then just got yeah. my friend who I invited over for a threesome come on in oh you know gosh. what I mean yeah no absolutely and the third topic I want to discuss is body image I received so many questions when I first put the idea of this episode out there obviously women tend to be more self-conscious of their bodies when it comes to having sex how do you think we can get over that and do you think it comes down to the media and how sex is portrayed in films yeah this makes me so so sad and you're right it is it is one of the biggest barriers to women mm. enjoying sex that I get told about too um I'm, I'm actually writing an article at the moment about pubic hair mm-hmm. um and how that's a really good case in point about how kind of porn and films which are obviously visual mediums have made us value what sex looks like um a lot more highly than how it feels so like you know extreme removal of pubic hair started as it i mean it's a practical consideration for people making porn so i mean discounting um questionable dialogue mm-hmm. visuals are pretty much all you've got to go on you know so terribly thoughtful filmmakers want mm-hmm. to make sure that you've got this best seat in the house and that means a vip unrestricted mm-hmm. fun free view of the action you know yeah. but then for you as a viewer it's irrelevant whether something that looks good on screen also translates to feeling good and I think um you know many of us can agree that three-day-old itchy as 
buggers mm-hmm. double does not feel the best, mm-hmm. you know? Like yeah. genital Velcro against your partner. Um, anyway, so I think the, the <laughs> crux of it is that it's it's so much easier said than done, but I think you have to get back in touch with what different pleasurable sensations feel like and you have to be able to practice being in your body, in the experience, rather than looking at yourself and watching yourself having sex from the outside. Um, and, and like, I mean practice like sex is often portrayed as something that you should just know about and just be good at which is absolute madness Mm -hmm. like any other skill you have to practice go out of your way take your time to actively touch yourself use your hands feathers scarves play with temperatures um heaviness of objects against your skin once you start to appreciate what your body can do for you you will hopefully start to see the kind of beauty and the pleasure it provides rather than focusing on perceived physical beauty. Do you think there's anything as women in particular that we can do? Because obviously it does come down to, you know, pubic hair. I remember doing my master's mm. in journalism and this we were at a round table and we were having this conversation, almost the expectation that mm. that's how you are naturally going to look. Yeah. But then also this idea of women apparently regularly will wear stockings and suspenders and it's incredible you know if you're feeling empowered and confident enough to be doing that and if you enjoy it yourself but how can women how can we almost turn that around and say okay you know what I don't like wearing stockings and suspenders I won't be doing that for you or I don't want to go and get waxed and, you know, pay out a fortune every month to have this done. How can somebody have that kind of conversation with maybe a new partner? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's really hard as well, the point that we've got to, to kind of disentangle what you are genuinely doing for you and what you are doing because of the way that you've been socialised, um, I don't think we'll ever, certainly not in our lifetime, ever be able to really disentangle that. But the point is that, um, you know, some women will be empowered by having a full-on wax. Some women will be empowered by letting it grow into a full-on bush. Like, both are fine. And I think, actually, the crux of it is how confident you are with that decision. Because at the end of the day, I mean... Any, any person that you're sleeping with, man or woman, any gender, would be very lucky to sleep with someone who is confident in their own body. That has got to be the sexiest thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I can't imagine anyone turning around and going, oh, no, I don't like that level of pubic hair, even though you're, like, strutting around and you're kind of com- clearly completely comfortable in your own body. Mm-hmm. That That is so much more sexy. That you know. And if they turn around and go, well, despite the fact that this incredibly attractive woman is strutting her stuff around me, uh, I don't like the level of that pubic hair, well, they can, quite frankly, bugger off because they're not worth your time. So I think yeah. it's, you, you know, you've got to be confident that you have made a decision for you and that you will take that into the bedroom in the most confident way that you possibly can um and and you know genuinely again it's you know if it comes up as an issue if someone if a partner says to you you know why do you do this again that's where confidence is going to help because you can very quickly come back with well actually that is what makes me feel good because xyz you know so it's just it kind of having that core strength of i have made this decision for a reason and i'm perfectly happily you know not that you should ever have to justify it but Mm. i can do if i'm ever questioned on it I do completely agree. And if you are finding yourself that you are justifying your personal choices, then I don't think that's somebody you want yeah, in your bed anyway. Not, yeah, yeah, they're not worth your time anyway. So, so that's kind of that's a nice way of being like, okay, bye then, see you, honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me help you on your way out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I should pack your bags, my darling. <laughs> now, it's not just coming down to having a few wobbly bits. There are, of course, many men and women with disabilities having sex, women with endometriosis having sex, what would you say to them listening in? Um, it, I, I don't want to give any kind of specific advice here because mm-hmm. I think, you know, every every different condition and person is so extremely different. But Absolutely. What, I, what I would say, um, and to be fair, this works for any person with anybody, is not to dwell on what you can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but find the joy in exploring different things, whether that be different sex acts, different body parts, different aids, um, and really crucially not see that as like a second best. So I think a lot of the time, like we've kind of touched on already, that a lot of the shame and anxiety can come from feeling like you're failing to have proper sex. So if, for example, you know, you've got endometriosis and that makes penis and vagina sex absolutely unbearably painful. What is proper sex anyway? That's bullshit. You know, to me, proper sex is what your body gets pleasure from. So, you know, let once you kind of let go of what you think you should be doing, it mentally frees you to enjoy and, you know, really enjoy the things that your body can do. So it's just, it's just switching that mindset, really. Mm. And having done so much research and having spoken to so many people, Anushka, what are overall three things you would want women in particular to know about sex? Yeah, I have done a lot of research. My internet browsing (laughs) history is questionable. Uh, So so I think think one of the main ones actually is... um, there's this ridiculous myth that the female orgasm is somehow harder to achieve. It's a bit of a chore to make women come. But when, this is my favorite fact in the entire world, and I will reel it off till I die. When masturbating or engaging in lesbian sex, 95% of women easily reach orgasm within four minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay? So your body is not broken. What's broken is the society that refuses to teach men about the vulva and the clitoris and the fact that that's where the pleasurable nerve endings are for people with vaginas. And spreading the word that women take forever and it's it's like a burden, it's really annoying, Mm -hmm. that gives men an easy out for not bothering in the first place. And it stops women from demanding better because they don't realise that better exists. Um, so that's it. That's a huge one for me. Your body is perfect. Your body works in the way it, it needs to. It's society that's not giving you the pleasure that you need. Second one, on a similar note, really, um, what most people describe as the clitoris is only a mere fraction of mm-hmm. a much larger organ that kind of extends all the way down the pelvis and along either side of the vulva. If you haven't seen a kind of diagram about the internal clitoris, it's just, it's the most beautiful thing. I absolutely love it. <laughs> um, and, and the clitoris can, can actually be anywhere between 7 to 20 centimetres long. And when you're aroused, it gets 50 to 300% larger. So, you know, if, if we could see it, and our erections, because, you know, the clitoris has erections as well. We might be boasting about the size of our clitorises like men do their penises. <laughs> so just because you can't see all the good stuff that's going mm-hmm. on doesn't mean it's not happening. So I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a third thing. Um, do you know what? So obviously there are a lot of conversations at the moment about consent, which is absolutely fantastic but I think we need to make it really clear that consent isn't just the absence of a no it has to be a genuinely enthusiastic yes um you know a a lot of the conversations that we're having are still I feel coming from quite a negative place so a place that still kind of puts women in the position of being like the gatekeepers of sex like you know oh boys will try and make you have sex because boys will be boys and all this but you're the one who has to say no if you don't want it it's putting it's putting the kind of emphasis back on you to do something about it so I'd just like to see more conversations about consent being this enthusiastic yes from people of all genders because actually that then sex sets sex up to be Mm -hmm. something mutually enjoyable for everyone and that you know it's not just that you'll put up with this particular sex act like oh it's fine whatever like I don't you know I'm kind of indifferent to it but you're really actively, you know, you're desiring it and you are asking for what you want, not just voicing what you don't want. Yeah, completely. I think when it comes to consent, you may not have said no, but you didn't say yes. I think that's a really strong mm-hmm. thing yeah. to remember. You know, so many girls feel that they have given permission just because they didn't say, no, I don't want this, when actually it has to be hell yes to be consensual and I think I would want people to know that sex is there to be enjoyed it's fun and we put so much you know whether it's media social media through porn things like this even opening magazines and seeing lingerie it's built up to be this huge 
spectacle when really it's it's such a personal thing and it's to empower you and to make you happy (laughs) so it should be enjoyed exactly I I think people forget that I mean I I actually kind of just see sex as like an activity that I enjoy doing Mm -hmm. which I know for some people maybe takes out some of the emotion and I don't mean it like that but I mean it more in terms of like it is just something you know the same way that like I go to the gym and I like lifting heavy weights because it makes my body feel a certain Mm -hmm. way it's an activity that like pumps me up and like makes my brain engage do you know all these things it's not it's so loaded with Mm -hmm. power and kind of all these other social things you know social meaning of what it is when at the end of the day it is you and one two three however many other people in a room in your bodies <laughs> having fun like that that's all it should be yeah now on to the big stuff porn mm, women mm. watch porn I feel like saying that is such a huge <laughs> thing because we're not brought up to even think that's okay or yeah. normal do you think porn is a feminist issue Anushka Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I mean, porn is absolutely a feminist issue. Women should have access to porn that directly serves them in the way that men do. Um, Most mainstream porn is made to cater to the male gaze, and that's the problem for me, not the porn itself. Porn is amazing. Like, porn is just sex. Sex is great. Porn is, you know, whatever. Um, But the language of mainstream porn can be really negative about women, and... um, I don't, uh, you, you might have noticed uh, that it generally, you know, those kind of titles and stuff, it generally describes acts that are done to women rather mm-hmm. than with them. So, like, on a homepage, you know, you might have, watch milk, get pounded. Teen is fucked, right? So, like, most porn literally speaks over women's heads. And those little words might not seem like a huge deal in isolation, but actually it all adds up. And, you know, yet again sorry to harp on about it but it comes back to power and who you believe sex is for once you have scrolled through those hundreds and hundreds of titles um that being said there there is some phenomenal ethical feminist porn being made by women like um anna richards erica lust check them out they are absolutely incredible um i'm not i'm not completely sure how comfortable I am with the term porn for women because i think it's a bit like female masturbation Mm -hmm. like no it's just masturbation it's just porn we're all just humans with desires Mm. um and I think porn for women can kind of suggest that women's sexuality is all the same um which it's absolutely not you know we've all got our very niche nuanced Mm -hmm. desires and and experiences and whatever um and and it can even suggest that it's like nicer than porn for men which I also hate Mm. but the fact that it's softer that's really promoted it's soft porn because it's catered for women but but the point is people like Anna and Erica their work for example is still wildly x-rated mm-hmm. but the difference is that it is through female eyes and it focuses on the woman's pleasure and that's the difference like the sex is still just sex you know it's just whose perspective you feel like you're coming at it from mm. and what other things do you think women tend to keep hush hush about that we need to be discussing more um painful sex is a big one for me that's something that i hear about a lot um you know people listening to the podcast and suddenly having a realization that sex should not be painful and that that's just something they've been going along with again because they've never felt that sex was meant to be for them so you know if it's not for me anyway it doesn't really matter if I'm enjoying it or not la 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 um and you know that comes back to the idea of enthusiastic consent because because women are socialized to feel that their role in heterosexual sex is to give sex to a man um so you know they will grin and bear it whether that's you know particular sex acts that are painful or positions because they've just never been told that Mm. women you know can physically have mind-blowingly pleasurable sex or that they have a right to it so I think that's a really important one that the more we talk about women having good sex in general whatever that looks like hopefully that'll start to break that one down um 
And I actually think the other one that, I, I mean, I really love that women are very much getting on board with the fact that we should be masturbating. Like, mas- I feel like masturbating has gone mainstream. I mm. love that there are all these memes all over Instagram about, like, wanking <laughs> being self-care or, like, sorry I'm late, I was masturbating. Like, mm-hmm. I love that. But I think there are probably fewer conversations about the role masturbating can play in a relationship. Um and you, sh- you should absolutely be masturbating when you're in a relationship. Wanking isn't a backup plan for when you don't have a partner to have sex with. It's a very legitimate, fun sex act in its own right. And and every time you masturbate, you'll learn you know new things about your body that you can then take back to your partner to make sure that you're getting the pleasure that your body can elicit there too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that comes back to that long-term relationship um point earlier that you know that that's actually a really nice way of introducing new things or things you've always wanted to try is if you have this open conversation where of course you both have sex but you also masturbate you know and and enjoy your own bodies in your own time you can then come back to the relationship that partnered sex and be like oh do you know what i tried Mm. something really random the other day and turns out my nipples love it (laughs) do you know what i mean like that's a really nice way of you know you're you are still discovering together it's not that you're suddenly five years down the line going Mm. oh I, i wish you'd been touching my nipples this whole time you know yeah and women seem to approach sex the whole thing not just intercourse very differently i have personally received a lot of dick pics but i've never heard of a woman sending their equivalents and obviously a woman sleeping with a lot of men we have very offensive terms but there isn't one for a man we just have the term player what are your thoughts on that yeah there's um there's a really interesting phrase which is that everything in life is about sex apart from sex sex is about power Mm. and that is basically what unsolicited dick pics are about. For the most part, they are they are not necessarily about genuine sexual titillation. The men who send them are hoping to shock the recipient into a reaction, into noticing them, you know, I, a man, have made an impact on and for these two seconds have had power over this woman. Um, again, you know, the inequality in how people of different genders are viewed when they have a lot of sex comes down to who holds the power, who has a right to take sex for themselves. And and I think it really shows itself in the fact that men expect women to be sexually available to them at all times. Mm. But when women take control of their own sexuality and act in a way that suggests, like, heaven forbid that they actually like that sex mm-hmm. and want it on their own terms, suddenly it's shameful for a woman to yeah. be into sex and men are allowed to call her names, right? So um, another thing in terms of kind of reclaiming language, actually, that I love is um, women starting to reclaim the word slut. Um, I I think I I love the idea of reclaiming words because it just takes the power out of it Mm -hmm. for the people who are trying to use it against you. So um, my friend Ruby Rare on Instagram is a sex educator and she runs workshops on how to be a slut, which basically now means you know being completely unapologetic about loving sex having a lot of it and knowing you deserve pleasure in you know in the way that you want it um so I think that there is kind of this power shift at the moment where women are starting to realize that they are able to do this and it's now about men catching up to that and realizing that that's only going to be a positive for them too because they're going to have even better sex rather than you know I think a lot of men can see things like that see Mm -hmm. people you know see women embracing being a slut and kind of feel like the rug has been pulled out from underneath them of like oh so what now we're on an equal footing like Mm -hmm. a lot of this was about power for me so what's my role in sex now and it's like no like don't worry your role in sex is now to just have great sex with me do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean um I'm curious to know Anushka have you always been this open or do you and Frankie really just open up when recording the episode and obviously do more friends Mm. now come to you now needing sex help (laughs) um yeah no I mean I am like this all the time if anything (laughs) more so more so in real life because I can actually get in depth and you Mm -hmm. know ask more personal questions to really get to the heart of stuff with my mates so but yeah like I said earlier like I've I've always been the therapist and and the Mm. agony aunt of the group but it it is interesting how many people who um you know like I've I've literally just met them at a party or something Mm. and they will ask me some really intimate question that they're you know worried about as soon as I say what my job is and 
people are clearly craving an outlet to talk and learn and as much as I obviously love being there for people it also just makes me really sad that that you know they are having to come to me instead of you know suddenly take this opportunity to talk to someone who talks about sex Mm -hmm. rather than that it's just something that they talk about regularly with their friends or their partners um but yes no I'm I'm afraid this is what I'm like all the time (laughs) no I think that's fantastic I remember when I was growing up obviously Sex and the City came out and so many Mm. women were saying oh I'm a Carrie or I'm a Charlotte's but actually I'm a closeted Samantha because they were (laughs) unable to admit almost to themselves that it was Mm. okay to talk about it and like I said I've at the very beginning I've never ever had a recorded certainly not a recorded conversation about sex I still feel like there is this stigma surrounding women you know if a man entered now and said oh I'm feeling fantastic today I had so much sex last night everyone would probably just laugh if a woman came in saying the same you think oh my gosh she's really she has put herself out there so no I think it's fantastic to be somebody who is at these parties, if you like, having the sex Mm. conversation. Now, one thing I loved is on the 19th of November, it was International Men's Day, you explored what people of all genders can be doing to create a kinder masculinity. What Mm. were the results of that? Yeah, that's something I feel really passionate about. And my kind of brand of feminism and sex positivity absolutely has to include men you know patriarchy and and toxic brands of masculinity hurt men as well as hurting women and I write a a monthly sex and relationships column in a men's magazine and that started off the back of you know having a bit of a profile from Project Pleasure and I just had so many men (laughs) sliding into Mm -hmm. my DMs writing essays and genuinely essays about their poor mental health or their you know worries of not living up to what it is to be a man in the bedroom and it just broke my heart that they're so desperate for this kind of space to talk about how they're feeling and to be given the space to grow and learn and you know that again that they had to come and chat to a random lady on the internet Mm. rather than feeling safe enough to do that with their friends or family um and I mean, so I, I basically just advocate for not assigning certain personality traits to mm. different genders. Um, I feel really strongly that we need to stop gendering what are essentially just human character traits. You know, the traits I look for in other people, in friends, employees, you know, life partners, whatever, are all the same. It's, mm. you know, kindness thoughtfulness playfulness ambition you know i don't look for or or expect different qualities in people according to what genitals they have or what or what Mm. genitals i think they have you know why can't why can't we as a human race aspire to generosity or curiosity or empathy rather than femininity or masculinity because all those sweeping gendered terms do is you know negatively homogenize everyone so there's Mm -hmm. no room for nuance in personality um but I mean, the trouble is, I you know, I could write about this stuff, talk about this stuff till the cows come home. But in the grand scheme of things, it does have to come from male spaces if anything's mm-hmm. going to genuinely change. Because yeah. so, so many of the men that I speak to are incredibly articulate about how masculinity stifles them. Mm. But at the same time, they would rather stay in that stifling box than call their mates out. You know, those social repercussions can actually feel even more painful so Mm. it's it's gonna take those brave ones in different circles to kind of start speaking up for others to then follow I think if you didn't have the podcast would you be doing something else in this area do you think yeah I mean so I mean audio is my profession and I you know project manage and produce about 10 or so different podcasts at any given time so if project pleasure didn't exist I would still very much be doing that but I suppose mm-hmm. I would be or I mean actually I, I do do other things in this area in that I kind of try to pick projects that in some way are going to make people feel better about themselves and feel supported and feel listened to um I do actually want to I do want to retrain as a sex and relationship therapist when I'm maybe in my like 40s or 50s, <laughs> that kind of like later life career. So I guess, yes, you know, at some point in my life, I would want to be kind of having these conversations in in some capacity, even without Project Pleasure. Have you seen the film, um, what's it called? Miss uh, The Fockers, Meeting the Fockers? Oh, years ago. Called? Yes. But, yeah, Meet the Fockers. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, Meet yeah. the Fockers. Yeah. And his mum 
is this sex therapist. I think this is oh, going yeah. to be you, Anushka. Yeah. In the yeah. Future. Well, well, I'm 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 currently wanting to model myself on Gillian uh, Anderson's character in Sex Education because she is just like she's this therapist mum vibe, and yeah. just she's the sassiest thing in the world, and I love her. So that that's what I'm going to go for. Just like live in a house that every now and then you kind of you think it's a normal looking house, but then yeah. you turn around and it's just like a naked woman statue on a shelf between the pot plants. Great. <laughs> Now, how can somebody, Anushka, build their podcast? If you have the podcast, you have the listeners, would you recommend collaborations? I know recently you spoke to my Viv, a new platform from Anne Summers. How can someone really make their podcast a brand? So if you want to make your podcast a brand, I think you have to see the podcast as kind of just the beginning of the conversation. Um, You know, when that episode ends, where can your listeners, who are clearly incredibly engaged in that subject or they wouldn't have made it to the end of the episode Mm -hmm. um continue that conversation with you you know we love chatting to people on twitter people dm us all the time on instagram to kind of you know tell us their personal experience of a particular episode's topic and why it resonated with them and obviously in our case we're talking about some extremely personal stuff so i think you have to be really authentic so that your audience believes that you genuinely live and breathe this stuff you know you're not just kind of clocking off when the mics are off Mm. like I say I genuinely want to continue these conversations outside of that particular content sphere kind of thing um I mean we've done we've done a load of sold out live theatre shows as well so we do um like sex ed pub quizzes and games Mm -hmm. nights which are not recorded or anything so not for the podcast Mm. in that respect but it is for the podcast in that it's just another way of reaching people. Um, and like you said, collaborations, particularly in the podcast world, are a great idea. Um, podcasting is, so I spent nearly a decade in live radio and, and the last few years in podcasting. And podcasting is such a collaborative, not competitive world. Because at the end of the day, the more podcast listeners there are, the the better that mm. is for all of us kind of thing. So um, you have to not be competitive with your fellow podcasters, kind of see who's out there having similar conversations, you know, kind of cross-promote each other, go on each other's podcasts, um, and that will bring over a wild number of listeners as well. Do you ever come across people who completely disagree with you? I mean, as I've said, I and as I did at the very beginning, you know, if someone's listening in and they're asexual and they have no interest in sex, that's absolutely fine. If somebody's listening, listening in and maybe they're extremely religious and they're waiting until marriage or they just want to wait until marriage, that's totally fine as well. Mm. Have you ever met anybody who completely disagrees with you? And if you do, what do you say to them? I've, I've never, so for me, sex positivity, which is at its very, you know, if I had to sum up what I do in like one very succinct sentence, it would be that I want to promote sex positivity. And to me, that that doesn't actually mean having sex. Like, that's not what it's about. It's about the choice of how and when and where and with whom you have sex. Mm-hmm. And that choice might be never having sex, waiting to have sex until you're married, not feeling anything towards sex that that encompasses all of that so I've never come across you know I, I would never kind of have any reason to to you know lock horns with with mm. someone in that respect because I that's what it comes down to it's it's the choice to you know have sex or not have sex in the way that you want I mean the only you know I've, I've had a fair few comments on Instagram from men who just clearly do not want to engage in this and that they think I'm taking something away from them so when I you know promote the fact that the clitoris is the main female sexual organ like which is literally just all I'm literally saying is there are more nerve endings Mm. in the clitoris than there are in the vagina like that's literally just a biological fact and you know you get men who are so unwilling to engage in that conversation that they think that you know they see that as a personal attack that I'm taking something away from them like I'm not saying don't have penetrative sex I'm saying have penetrative penetrative sex if you want it have oral sex if you want it find out which of these things works best for your body you know I'm not Mm. saying I, I think a lot of men see it as me taking something away from them and only giving women the power and yeah. actually we're trying to redress the balance so I mean you, you pick your battles really don't you there are some men who 
you can just about tell that there might be a kind of space to put your foot in the door that they kind of they're confused Mm. but they're still asking a question which is brilliant I am all for asking questions that's so much better than just shutting something down so I'm willing to engage in those conversations if I feel like there is a slight chink in the armor that I might be able to with a few rational facts you know explain why I've said what I said um I mean there are some that I honestly I use the block button quite Mm. liberally on because I'm just like I don't have the energy to have this shite in in my life (laughs) yeah I think it's really good to mention that obviously even though we're having this conversation we're not saying every woman in the world should go out there and try x y and z we're saying it's your choice and as Mm. you put it you know this is a sex positive conversation Mm. if you want to be having it if you don't if you're questioning it if you're in a new relationship it really is sex is such a personal thing and Mm. it is there to have fun and to enjoy and I think that's all we're promoting so whether you are waiting whether you never want to have it whether you're having it every evening in that case go on you I think Mm. no whatever your personal choice is that's that is what we're supporting what we're saying and I think the, the other the other thing to point out there is that something that those of us who kind of consider ourselves sex educators in some way are you know spend a lot of our time especially in quite a public facing way having these conversations is that there seems to be an expectation that because we talk about sex that we are you know crazy kinky and doing Mm. all these ridiculous things all the time which is just not true again it comes down to we're trying to have all these different conversations so that you as the person who's engaging with that content can pick and choose which things resonate with you and work for you wherever that is along the spectrum in the same way that like we're just trying to do that as well do you know what I mean Mm. like I've, I've had so many conversations with my kind of sex educator friends of that actually a lot of us have got ourselves in weird situations where men have expected us to be into certain things just because we talk about them and that's why I try and talk about things in a slightly more academic way if I can um, because you know in talking about something or advocating for something or showing that that that's an option that's not me saying I'm down for this like in terms of consent you know just because I talk about it just because I feel able to Mm. say those words out loud it doesn't mean that I I'm automatically like you still if you're going to sleep with me you still have to ask me what I'm into you know mm. just just because I've written an article about mm. having a threesome it doesn't mean that that's something that I have personal experience of you know mm. um so yeah there's a slight respect thing there as well that that it comes down to how big do you see project pleasure getting what is your dream your vision for yourself Anushka because I'm I am painfully ambitious and organized but Project Pleasure is actually the one thing that I like that I don't know where it will go next mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's because when we first created it we had absolutely no idea what it would end up becoming um, you know all I wanted was for two or three people to listen and hopefully feel a little bit better about themselves as a result um, and honestly that's that's still all I care about. I I don't give a shit how many people mm. are listening. If we, you know, become a global brand and multi billionaires off the back of it, my my dream is for individual people to continue to slide into my DMs to say that they, you know, finally talk to their partner about something that's been worrying them because the podcast gave them the language to express themselves or that they feel more comfortable in their own skin or sexuality because it made them realize that they do have a right to pleasure just the same as anyone else um you know that for this particular project Mm. that is what success is to me I think yeah and lastly Anushka what are your essential reads or podcasts that you would recommend to our listeners and what is the quote that you love or the mantra you live by oh okay so top 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 read is emily nagoski's come as you are um it will change your life genuinely (laughs) it's um it's ostensibly about sex but it's also so much um kind of psychology and how you relate to other people and partners um we actually had emily on our desire and libido episode and she is such a babe that honestly our dms were full of people telling us that they like bought the book as they were listening to the podcast because they wanted to learn more so that is that's my absolute top one Mm -hmm. um 
I'm reading Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez at the moment, um, but I actually can't read much of it in one go because it's 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 about the kind of unbelievably sexist gender gaps um, in data and things like healthcare and housing and stuff like that, and it just makes me so angry that we live mm. in this world that I kind of have to like put the book down, yeah. go and take a breather, like literally every couple of paragraphs. Yeah. Um, a couple of other ones would be Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Renée Edo-Lodge is absolutely vital reading because mm-hmm. we just need to all make sure that our feminism is intersectional and doesn't just kind of selfishly empower our own personal interests. Um, Becoming Cliterate by Laurie Mint because it's got a great title. Um, that will kind of help you get to know your body better. And then finally, um, Be a Man by my mate um, Chris Hemmings. He's a kind of self-confessed former lad um rugby lad and writes about the kind of kinder masculinity that he wants to instill in boys and men um finally so my favorite mantra or kind of quotes or something Mm. um i think i think if you ever find yourself at a bit of a crossroads in life it's always better to regret something that you did do than regret something that you didn't do Mm -hmm. i just i don't believe in spending time you know asking yourself what if just just bloody do it and find out no I agree with that well thank you so much for coming on the podcast again Anushka it was amazing to talk to you I'm so happy this was my first recorded conversation ever about sex how do you feel how does it feel liberating yay that's an excellent word that's the word we're looking for yeah liberating it feels really really good and I'm so happy um because it's always been a topic I've thought oh you know should I be sharing it and our listeners and our readers it's one of the topics everyone has been asking me to discuss so I'm so happy that I could have you on today so thank you so much thank you it's been great